Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. It's been a few weeks since we've been together um, because of the holidays, but it's good to come back together and continue on in our study in uh, Colossians, uh, in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, so if you'll turn there in your Bibles, last time we ended in chapter 2, we ended in verse 7. And the previous passage we looked at had Paul telling the people, he was instructing them so that they would not be deluded by anyone coming with plausible arguments. Okay? He commanded them to walk in Christ, to be rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. But even though we, we stopped there, Paul was not finished with his focus on the spiritual health of the people. He was not finished with his instruction about the spiritual deception that, um, that they were encountering uh, at the hands of false teachers with worldly wisdom and convincing words. Uh, so tonight we'll be looking more at what uh, Paul had to say on that subject. But I would start off by asking a question tonight. Um, why and this, these were words from last time we met, why, why does a Christian need to be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith? This goes with the rest of what we'll be talking about tonight. Why do we need to be rooted and built up in Christ? Yeah. Yeah, we're surrounded by error and, and philosophies and false teaching and all those kinds of things. So those, we're engaged in spiritual warfare, right? And the battle is over the truth. Um, Christ is the truth, and if we are not rooted and built up in Him, then we will be deceived. We open ourselves up to being deceived and, and taken away from, pulled away from the truth. Um, we're sadly mistaken if we think we can handle this battle without the weapons God has given us. Uh, the most effective weapon that He has given us, of course, is the truth, the written Word of God in the Bible. Um, he has graciously given us that. He has not left us floundering around in the world to try to figure things out on our own. Uh, so we're certainly grateful to God for his, his inspired word. So tonight, let's read a, our passage of Scripture that we're looking at, and then we'll pray. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 8 in Colossians chapter 2, and we'll go through verse 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the ability, the opportunity uh, to come and gather together as Christians, to, to hear from your word, Lord, to uh, learn from the truth. I pray, Father, that you would graciously, graciously uh, grant us understanding um, and wisdom as we read your word, as we study your word. Lord, may we be protected by it from deception, Lord, um, as we sang about tonight. Lord, on your word, we will rely. And I, we just ask for your help. 
recognizing that we need your help, that we cannot live the Christian life without you, without your indwelling Holy Spirit. And Lord, at the same time, we understand that you have graciously given us that help. Um, You sent your Spirit to indwell us, to, to be our helper, Lord. We thank you for it. We praise you. We want you to be elevated, Lord. We want Christ to be elevated in our thinking, in our speech. I pray, Lord, that what we talk about tonight as we study tonight, Lord, will be uh, bringing honor to you and glory to you because you alone deserve it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So now we're going we're gonna to spend a bit of time on this verse, on verse 8, um, because it really does describe not just what came against the Colossian church, but what comes against God's people today as well, and all throughout church history. Um, It's the same thing. It's always been a battle over the truth. There's always been what is false coming against God's people, and God's people having to go back to the Word and to discern what is right right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false. And so it's no different today for us. And Paul's opening words in verse 8 are a stark reminder that we we have an ongoing responsibility to guard our thinking as Christians, to guard our beliefs, our, our way of living against deception. And so verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, see, he says, see to it. Well, what, is, what does that mean? It's, it's to be watchful for something, to, to see or discern something. Okay, there's uh, an intentionality to that. Um, it could be used of things that are good. It could be used of things that are bad, um, being watchful. Okay? But in this particular instance, of course, Paul is talking about something that is bad, being watchful for what is bad, uh, what is dangerous. And his concern is deception, and that Christians would not just be aware that deception is out there, but to be on guard, to be watchful uh, able to recognize what deception is. And um, as we remind you a lot in this church, the scriptures are chock full of warnings against false teachers and false teaching and deception. I don't think you can read a single New Testament book and not see something about the dangers Christians face from false teachers or teaching that is false and being aware of it, needing to be watchful for it. Um, they, it, it is a, something that is a constant trying to work its way into the church and into the thinking of Christians. Jesus warned in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Right? And Peter warned in 2 Peter 3.17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So according to Peter, what is at stake for the Christian who's not watchful? That's a question for all of you. (laughs) What is at stake for the Christian who is not watchful according to that passage? I'll read it again. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Okay, yeah, we, we, can, we can be lose our stability, right? There's a certain stability we have as Christians um, with the Word of God and trusting in Christ. There's a stability to the truth. 
And when we veer off into error, we can lose that stability because there's that conflict between truth and error. When we're following error, it won't make sense. Things won't make sense. It won't mesh. There'll be that inner conflict because we're not following the truth. We'll lose stability. Um, Yeah, uh, there, there are all kinds of temptations can follow that for sure. And Paul describes the danger here in our text in Colossians as that of Christians being taken captive. Okay, you, you can't be taken captive to deception unless you were at first freed from deception. And that's what we have as Christians. We have been freed, right? The, the danger for the Christian is being taken captive again. And that's where we were. We were under the power of Satan and darkness. But in Christ, we've been set free uh, by and to the truth. Uh, Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We've been set free. The danger for the unbeliever is that they follow this deception, even if it's called Christian. Uh, their danger is that they remain dead in their trespasses and sins. They, they don't come to salvation in Christ by following this deception. And it is amazing that Christians would, would want to go back to slavery, right, through, through deception. This is why Paul was so upset with the foolishness of the Galatians. Um, they had been taken captive by deception and went back to the slavery of the law. In Galatians 1.6, he said it this way, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He was astonished by it. If you'll turn to Galatians 5 with me, We're going to look at a passage there, Galatians 5. Later, after reminding them in chapter 5 that they had been set free in Christ, he calls them out again. Um, And he calls them out for believing lies, which he's warning about in our text tonight as well. But let's see how he said it to the Galatians. In chapter 5 of Galatians, let's read verses 7 through 10. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Okay, it's the same thing. He's warning against the same thing, he's, and he's astonished by this, and um, Again, it goes to all that we're talking about tonight and this idea of being taken captive. Um, all the scriptural warnings to be um, sufficient to at least, should be sufficient to at least convince us that it's possible for us to be taken captive. Okay, not, now we're not talking about loss of salvation. That's not possible, right? If we are in Christ, we are in Christ. Uh, but Christians can be taken captive for a time. They can be following after error for a time. Okay, again, losing stability. What are some of the reasons then? What are some of the reasons that Christians are vulnerable to being taken captive? Okay, false teaching. Okay, not, not reading his word. What else? Not staying connected? Okay, to, okay, to, to the believers to the body of Christ? Yes. What else? Hiding. 
Okay. Okay, so, so following after our own desires, okay? Yeah, um, immaturity, um, inattention to sound doctrine goes along with not reading his word. Forgetfulness, you know, in Deuteronomy 6.12 says, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And we're commanded all through scripture to remember, to remember the Lord and what he's done. You know, the things that make us vulnerable, again, are, are idleness, they're a lack of pursuit of holiness, a fear of man can, can put us in a place where we're vulnerable to being taken captive. Like, um, you know, especially in our day today, you know, for, for pastors to stand firm on the Word of God is increasingly being seen as hateful. And already in Canada, they're passing laws that uh, pastors who preach about um, homosexuality, about biblical hom- uh, the biblical view of sexuality, um, they're subject to being arrested. Um, and that's been a law that's been passed in Canada, and it's not long before we'll have those kinds of things. But again, so standing on the Word of God for us as Christians can put us in a position to have to to be vulnerable to being taken captive because we have a fear of man. I don't want to stand on this because if I do, this will happen. So I'm just going to go ahead and and agree with what the world says here. Right? That that opens us up to being taken captive through a fear of man or a fear of all the the pressure from the culture or, or our society to accept everything as, as okay. You know, for some it could be the fear of loss of income, especially we see this in like celebrity pastors and stuff, right? They are continually falling to heresy and all these kinds of things because they make a lot of money. You know, to, to stand on the word of God, they would start losing money from their particular audience. Right? Um, fear of loss of status can be something that makes Christians vulnerable to being taken captive. Um, and it's sad, really. Uh, you know, compared to, if you turn to, with me to Hebrews 10, look at the, the, the group of Christians there and what they were willing to endure uh, is, is pretty interesting when you contrast that with what we were just talking about. Hebrews 10 32 through 36, the author of Hebrews says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, that, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That is not the picture of people who, are, who have a fear of man and who are caving to the pressures of society. They're, they're said there that they're joyfully accepting the plundering of their own property. Um, they, that is the, the idea of those that are following Christ and not, not caving, not being taken captive by fear of persecution or those kinds of things. The, the stronger meaning in our, in our text, back in Colossians, of what Paul indicates they are in danger of is found in the literal meaning of the word he uses for captive. It's a compound word that has the meaning of someone who has been kidnapped or carried off as the spoils of war. 
Okay, though this is, uh, this is the only place that this word is used in the New Testament. The concept is something that Paul, we see elsewhere in the Bible that he's warned about in his warning to Timothy about heartless, treacherous men who are lovers of self, who are very dangerous to certain people in the church. He said this, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And this idea of creeping into households is is really real for us today. Uh, These evil people can do it over the airwaves, right? Through our TVs and phones and computers and um, books and whatever else it might be. We let them in because we go looking for them, um, not suspecting that they're deceivers. And we let them in because they come looking for unsuspecting, uh, unprepared Christians who, who click on their links uh, because they're on a supposed Christian site. What is it in verse 8 in our passage that Paul identifies as the means by which Christians are taken captive? What do we see there? What does he say are the means by which Christians are taken captive? Yeah, yeah, by, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That's basically another way of saying what he did to Timothy, right? They were always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's sort of what philosophy can be or, or lead to. It, it can captivate the minds of people who are not rooted in Christ. And this word uh, for philosophy that, that Paul used there is talking about, he's talking about it in this broad, uh, it was broad in the church. It encompassed a lot of things. Um, it is similar to what we see in our time and what people speculate about and in terms of the meaning of life and all those kinds of things. And one historian wrote about what this word meant in Paul's time. He said, everything that had to do with the theories about God and the world and the meaning of human life was called philosophy at that time, not only in pagan schools, but also in Jewish schools of the Greek cities. And of course, we know that Paul is aware of the specific dangers faced by the the Colossian church. Um, As we saw before, the attack on the person and work of Christ was the main point of deception that Paul addresses in this letter. Um, And whatever all the philosophies were that came against them, Paul says it is empty. It's empty deceit. Uh, In other words, though the philosophy sounded good, it was really a trick. It was a fraud uh, that was very seductive because of its appeal to human reasoning. And that's, that's a really important part of that. It has an appeal to human reasoning. And it's empty. It's, it's meaningless. It's vain. It's fruitless. It's unuseful. Uh, J.I. Packer said, Philosophers are people who talk about something they don't understand and make you think it's your fault. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> Listening to some to a philosopher I have. Another person quipped that a philosopher was like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat which is not there. And someone else said that philosophy is saying what everyone, everybody knows in a language that no one can understand. I, I, have, I have felt that way listening to really you know, lofty speech from philosophers and things like that. Um, people were talking about Christ, claiming knowledge of Christ, adhering... Um, 
saying they adhered to Christ, they had a love for Christ, but they were following a false Christ. Those in the Colossian church that are bringing these heresies about the person and work of Christ. And that's no different today. It's, it's the same thing we see today. And actually, I want to show you an example tonight. You have, if you have a clip, you can start getting that ready. Um, I want to show you an example of this kind of philosophy and empty deceit uh, by playing a clip uh, from a documentary movie called The American Gospel, Christ Crucified. This movie is a second in a series exposing false teaching, the false gospels that um, really come out of America and are sent around the world. Um, and in this clip, you'll see several people being interviewed or a, a clip of them having been interviewed. And the main person here uh, who we'll see who's really a deceiver is a man named Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've heard of him. Anybody heard of him? No? Oh, that's good. Um, so he is a Catholic priest, he's a mystic, he's a, a New Age false teacher, but he claims to be a Christian. And um, you know, this movie interviews many false teachers or plays clips of them speaking and then interviews biblical Christians to refute what they're saying. And so, but on this particular clip, there's just a couple of people that will be refuting him. Um, and so there's a there's two ladies that they have that are Christian ladies. One is a former New Ager named uh, Marsha Montenegro, and the other is Alyssa Childers. Um, everyone else you'll hear from on this clip is someone who claims to be a Christian, but they reject the biblical Christ. So they'll be talking about Christ and maybe even sound kind and knowledgeable, but they really ignore the scriptures. So I want to play this clip, about a 10-minute clip, uh, and then we'll move on from there. So go ahead truth in so many other places. You know, if people want to call me liberal, I, I guess that's okay. It's only from their perspective. If they really knew the perennial tradition. Richard Rohr also says he's a perennialist, and perennialism is the belief that there is one divine reality that unites all religions. Externally, they appear different and they, pra they are practiced differently, and they may have different doctrines, but those are all only external factors. There's actually a core divine truth that unites all of them. One word for it is Christ. One word for it is Christ. This, of course, erases the distinction of Christianity from any other religion and makes it just one of many. And there are such stark differences between what certain religions teach about some very big things. And the cross is what overshadows all the other religions. And as scripture says, that is the stumbling block for many. If we're worried about being right, then no, they can't all be right. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily the question that we're supposed to be asking. That's not an important question to me anyway right now. I know that this is where I am. I find myself in the Christian tradition into Jesus, and I think Christ is even bigger than Jesus. Well, how could anything be bigger than Jesus, at least for a Christian? Well, there is, and that's Christ. Richard Rohr makes a distinction between the historical Jesus and what he calls the cosmic or universal Christ. And you say there are two different realities. Jesus is the historical figure, Christ is the cosmic figure, which we've been talking about it. He divides Jesus and Christ because he thinks Christ is bigger than Jesus. 
I know people may start to tense up when they hear someone trying to redefine Jesus for them, you know. One of Richard Rohr's favorite things to say is, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Jesus became the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. And that's a surprise to most Christians. I think that's a straw man because really, I don't know any Christian who thinks Christ is Jesus' last name. I think most Christians who know anything about the Bible know that Christ is the Greek for the Jewish word Messiah, which means the anointed one. So of course Jesus is Christ because Jesus is the Messiah. But what Richard Rohr says is that the first incarnation of Christ is creation. The Big Bang is the birth of the Christ, 14.5 billion years ago. And this I have a uh, background in the New Age. I was in there very many years. I was involved in Eastern belief systems, first Hinduism and then Tibetan Buddhism for a while. I was very interested in astrology and eventually became a professional astrologer until I encountered the true Christ and became a Christian at that point. I have been very alarmed to see that in progressive Christianity, uh, there are influences from the New Age. Panentheism is one of them, which is one of Richard Rohr's key teachings. We're not pantheists. Authentic Christianity is panentheism. Theism and what I would call Christian theism is God as creator who created the universe out of nothing and is distinct from his creation. He's omnipresent because God can't be contained in any one location, but he remains distinct from his creation, whereas pantheism is like the opposite of that. Pantheism is God and creation are one and the same. So the leaves are God, the rocks are God, and it just becomes identical with creation. Panentheism is God is in creation, and creation is in God, but God also transcends creation. There's one God who created all things. Yes. Then everything has to carry the divine DNA. And so in Rohr's view, you look at someone else and you see Christ. That makes every single one of us have this inherent divinity, this, this shared godlike nature. So what Rohr is saying is that Christ is another name for everything. Don't think of it, first of all, as a religious concept. Think of it as a descriptor for everything, everything at least that we conceive. Uh, Rob Bell has a very similar view. Rob Bell says everything is spiritual. Welcome to everything is spiritual. He even did a seminar or a series of workshops with Deepak Chopra is probably one of the foremost and richest New Agers around, advertising their courses, learning how you're an expression of the divine. 
Whereas the Bible teaches that we are hopelessly lost until Christ saves us, not containing this, this part of God already inside of us, this divine nature. I, I think of Genesis 3:5 when the serpent says to Eve, you shall be like God. And so when that bleeds over into the gospel, it doesn't just distort the gospel, it obliterates the gospel. Because of Rohr's view on panentheism and that creation is the first incarnation of Christ, everybody and everything is in Christ. He is the flesh and blood embodiment of something far larger and more uh, cosmic. And Rob Bell has talked about Christ as being cosmic and being a an energy, a divine energy in the universe that people stumble over. People may be stumbling upon this mystery hidden in every inch of creation all the time and not knowing or having a name for it. His influence is just profound. Recently, Jen Hatmaker had Richard Rohr on her podcast, and she referred to him as a spiritual father. I, along with just thousands and thousands of my listeners, um, have learned from you for so many years. We consider you a spiritual father. He's also influenced, I know, Brian McLaren, and he's influenced the Nazarene Church. He was a speaker at the 2017 Young Clergy Conference of the Nazarene Church. He's been a guest on the Liturgist podcast, on the Deconstructionist podcast, and has influenced them. For us to say that, that Christ doesn't continue to work or manifest in ways um, outside of our Christian community um, is not a position or an assumption I'm ready to make. So there's no need for anybody to have any kind of faith in Jesus because we're already in Christ. When people say, like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or Jesus is the, you know, enter through the narrow gate, they are assuming their own interpretation of what those statements are actually referring to. It says, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, this would be problematic for Richard Rohr normally, except that he says that Jesus is talking as the universal Christ here. And the reason we have so misused and misinterpreted John's gospel is this is the eternal archetypal Christ talking. He can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about this mystery, this amalgam of matter and spirit, which is the way for everybody. His view of Jesus as savior is non-existent. Jesus is not a savior because we don't need salvation. We don't need to be reconciled. Uh, another word. I think I'm back on now. There we go. Um, so I show you that clip uh, because Richard Rohr and, and Oprah and others, they have a wide influence over a lot of people, like a lot of influence. Um, and they say they're Christians, right? Um, and so many people who are not Christians are following them. And many people who are Christians get get sort of caught up in the things that they're teaching and saying, they, they sound appealing to them, and it deceives people. 
Um, and so here we see the product of people using human reasoning, and they twist the Scriptures uh, instead of believing God and what He says because they don't like it. I mean, you saw in that last part there, He's saying that in that passage where Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's not, it's not Jesus, it's the Christ, right? And so they're, they're changing, they're twisting things. Um, so we see that he and those who teach and believe like him, they really do away with the biblical Christ. And they go so far as to make him two separate things. For you and I who have believed in the biblical Jesus, then, then according to them, we've missed out. We've missed out because only those who are extra spiritual can know about this cosmic Christ or this universal Christ. Um, which again, these are very similar things and beliefs uh, that the Gnostics had way back when, right? This is not that much different. Um, but why is this? Why is that so appealing? Why would this system of belief take people captive? Why do you think? You don't have to do anything. You're, you're just there, <laughs> okay? What was that? Ah, it tickles the fancy of your mind. That's right. That's exactly right. There, ultimately, this teaching is about, it's about universalism, right? Everyone goes to heaven. Um, and it's all about ridding ourselves, really, of the burden of the reality of sin. Not ridding ourselves of sin, but being of the belief that I'm not that bad. Really, there is no, no sin. Uh, if we had continued in that clip, they're going to start talking about atonement. And he doesn't believe that we need atonement. Well, that fits with not believing that sin is real, not believing that we are sinful. Without sin, we don't need a Savior. And ultimately, he would believe there's no hell. And everyone really is Christ. In his book, he even at the very beginning of his book, he dedicates his book to his dead dog, who he said was, was Christ for him. Okay, so, John. There you go, right? That's right. You, you become God. And doesn't that sound just like what wretched sinners would want to hear? Right? This is why it appeals. I'm not that bad. Everyone's basically good. God loves us just the way we are. I am my own God. That's what it, that's what it ultimately leads to. And it appeals to the flesh. Right? Uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears is what you're talking about. Right? They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is why this is appealing. Because it removes our, the idea that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need a Savior. And we are not that Savior. And it is Jesus Christ. It, it removes all that. It puts us in a place of God. It brings Christ down, does away with the biblical Christ. Um, so it brings us back to what Paul had said before about being rooted and established in Christ and not, as he says in our text here tonight, not according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Um, and if you want to turn with me to Mark uh, 7, Mark 7, verses 5 through 9. 
right? And here Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes and their complaint that his disciples are not washing their hands, they're not following their tradition. Um, and so starting at verse 5 there, we see, uh, end up seeing what Jesus' response is. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Okay, so we see that even there, that uh, they, they had attitude, they had uh, made something, they had elevated something, a tradition that they had um, to a place of some sort of command of God. It was not a command of God, but the people would have believed it to be from God because of who's saying that it's from God. The ones that are saying you have to do all these things, um, the source are the teachers of the law. And why would they not believe them? That's the whole point, right? And so Jesus was going after them about that, and it was deception. And he says, Paul uh, writes here about the elemental spirits of the world, um, and it could be as some commentators have said that Paul is suggesting that this, is, this deceit is really a dumbing down from the mature understanding of the truth of God, talking about and going on about uh, basics of human life, and it really apart from God, right? Not, this is not a Christian thing. Ignoring the revelation of God regarding their, their own origins and His sovereignty, and we certainly see that in that clip that we watched. It really is a... Uh, juvenile way of thinking, right? Paul, Paul describes it to the Galatians in this way to make a distinction. In Galatians 4.3, he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elemental, elementary principles of the world. And the, the elementary principles are associated with, with immaturity, and to um, fall to that is to regress like a child, like in a childlike way of thinking. We as Christians are to be rooted and established in Christ, being built up, there's a, a progression of sanctification in our life, of growing in knowledge of Christ, not a regression back to elemental things. Um, and really, this being rooted and established in Christ is the antidote to false teaching. It's the antidote, uh, it's a safeguard against being kidnapped into the captivity of this kind of empty philosophy and deception. Uh, again, like we sang tonight, on your word I will, will rely. Um, and, but you're going to have people like that. They'll come, they'll even use scriptures and say, you know, and bring all this false teaching, even with scriptures and twisting them. And Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6 20 and 21, he said, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Again, we see this is what we saw tonight was an example of what is falsely called knowledge. And we see it all the time in our world. All the smart people of the world um, you know, that really do think they're fart, fart, that they're smart and they're uh, you know, professing to be wise. And the scripture says they became fools. They've exchanged the truth 
for lies, right? So Paul says to them to be watchful. See to it, he says. Be watchful to discern what comes from that emptiness, all that emptiness, and not, by, you know, uh, by a comparison, according to Christ. That's the standard, right, he puts forth here. Not that stuff, but according to Christ. That's how we think. That's how we live. That's how we believe. Um, so then that begs the question, what does he mean by saying not according to Christ? Like he wants us to do it according to Christ. What does that mean? Why should we be, be concerned about being really being captive to Christ? How do we do that? What was that? Reading his word, right? Reading his word, being obedient to his word, that is the truth, right? That's where we go, not to man's ways of thinking, not to man's philosophies and those kinds of things. And it's the world and the world's ideas and opinions and all those things are always going to clash with Scripture. It's, it's supposed to clash with Scripture because the world is not for Christ. They are not for God. And we are not of the world. We are in Christ. So we are, by definition, if we are standing on the truth of the Word of God, we are going to be set apart. We are going to be outside of the world. We will be seen as strange and weird and increasingly in our culture as will be seen as um, evil and hateful and all those kinds of things, even though we're not, you know, merely to, to profess to believe what the Scripture says makes you a hateful person in our day and age. Um, and so more trouble for Christians will come because of that. Why should we then, again, the question, why should we as Christians desire to be captive to Christ and not according to all those other things? Well, he answers that in verses 9 and 10 in Colossians 2. In concerning Christ, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Before we get into that verse, I want to remind you of something we talked about when we went through chapter 1, and in particular verse 19. Okay, this is not the first time we've heard this from Paul. Remember, we, we heard this statement from him in verse 19 of chapter 1. There were people believing and propagating lies about Jesus, uh, whether they were coming up with these lies specifically in order to damage the church or if they truly believe them. It really doesn't make any difference. The result of these kind of false doctrines about Christ, the person and work of Christ, um, really are lead to believing in a false Christ. It leads people to worship a false Christ, and it keeps people in their sins and on their way to hell. And we talked about Two things that were being propagated about Jesus, and this is not an exhaustive list, of course, but it was that he was um, not God because spirit is good, matter is evil, therefore um, the man Jesus could not be divine, right? Um, that Jesus was not God because he was only a lesser being that emanated from God, possessing uh, only a portion of the divine attributes. Okay, but we know that that is... That is not true. We understand that um, God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God, okay? One God, three persons, uh, all possessing all the attributes of God at all times. Um, 
So this kind of teaching was that all the divine attributes were split. They were supposedly divided among the different spirits that emanated from God. Therefore, no one spirit possessed all the attributes of God. So with Paul writing about it in chapter 1, verse 19, and here again in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he really closes the door on this false teaching in the minds of Christians anyway. It should be closing that door for us that Christians should believe and be reassured that Jesus is fully God, fully man. And he possesses every divine attribute of God all at the same time. And the scripture tells us in Hebrews that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Um, and so hence, he says here in our passage, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity, completely God, dwells bodily, he says. Okay, so he's, he, he comes in human flesh. He doesn't cease to be God. There's no decrease in him. And it refutes both false understandings of Jesus, both of the false understandings about Jesus that we talked about. And I think really we can't, though people do and they try to, we can't really dispute the deity of Christ in, uh, in light of what the Scriptures clearly teach about him. To, to deny it is to simply read it and say, I don't believe that. It, it's not that the Bible doesn't teach that Christ is God. It certainly does. But unbelieving people can't understand that. Next we see, he says, you have been filled in him. Uh, this really is saying two things. First, that Christ himself is our source uh, of grace, power, knowledge, eternal life. It all comes from him. And in perfect measure, John 1, 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And second, that to be filled uh, means we are not lacking in what we need to live the Christian life. Again, this filling is complete. Some of your translations might even say complete there. It's all there. It's not a partial thing. It really has to do with being controlled by the Spirit of God as opposed to the flesh. Why does it sometimes look like we're not filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay. We're following our own, our own ways. Why does it seem like we don't have what we need? We don't ask, for sure. Yeah. Right. We, we continue to have ongoing sin in our lives, right? And this... All these things can, you know, the accuser has us believe that it's proof that we're lacking salvation, right? We can, in our minds, we can go back to thinking, maybe I'm not saved. This is proof that I'm not saved. But God has given us all that we need. The reality is Christians have it all. We just, we don't utilize it, right? But again, it's not a, some kind of force or something like that, right? It's, we're talking about the truth of the Word of God. Do we believe it? Um, I like the way one commentator explains this word, filled. Uh, he, says, um, he says, it's in the perfect tense which, tense which indicates a past completed action with present ongoing effect or result. And so the verse can be more literally, literally translated, you are in him having been filled full with the present result that you are in a state of fullness. In other words, the results of our having been filled are eternal. 
Right? We're not, we don't decrease in the ability to do the things that God has called us to do. We have what we need to do those things, uh, but we are sometimes disobedient. Or we've believed lies about, about the truth of what God says. This is knowledge of God that, that we Christians need to understand. We need to be anchored or rooted in, in Christ. It's a, it is biblical truth that we can live by. We, will be, uh, we, can, we shouldn't be swayed by our feelings or our experiences into believing something else. We need to believe the truth that God has given us all we need in Christ and in the power of His Spirit. To not do so causes us to look outside the faith. It causes us to look outside the Word of God. And that's when you end up with people like this saying the things they say. They have not, I mean, I mean, he's not a Christian. He may read the Bible, he may say he's a Christian, but he's not a Christian. Now, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And the question is, do we believe God or not? As Christians, that is what he has said in his word. That is what is true about you if you are a Christian, if you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That verse says that we have been granted all things pertaining to life and godliness. I don't need to go look somewhere else. That, that statement has no cracks in it. But do we believe it? And I, you know that really gives us the picture of, of rebirth as well. We, we did not have all things when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now he has granted to us all things. It's the before and after of dead in our trespasses and sins and now alive in Christ. And we, I don't know if we read this verse last time. It seems like it keeps coming up a lot lately, but um, how do you help it? It fits. It's the truth, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, the last part of that verse reminds us again of where this power comes from, which is Christ. And it gives his credentials, right? It sets Christ in his place for us to see and to be able to trust what he says because there is nobody else above him. Talking about Christ, Paul says, he who is the head of all rule and authority. Why should we believe him? Because he is the head of all rule and and authority. There is no one higher. There's no one above him, not, not kings, not presidents, not governors, not emperors, not nothing angelic, demonic, nothing else. He is the head of all rule and authority. He is sovereign. We should have no fear of man in light of that. We should have no fear of uh, standing upon the word of God and, and truth, and, but we do, right? We, we do have fear um, but let's not be deceived. That's what Paul is going after here with them. He's, he warned them before, earlier on, right? He's saying this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, and now we get down here, and he's going on. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And he's contrasting all of that with what? With the truth. What we need is everything according to Christ. And we, when we look at these verses about not being deceived or taken captive, we must, as Christians, we must remember that we do not have to worry about figuring out how to do this on our own. 
Right? The way and the ability to fight against this is explained in the Scriptures and empowered by the Spirit of God in us uh, through our knowledge of Christ and the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit is empowering all of this in us. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to go outside of this. You, you listen to people like this, your mind can go crazy. They're using all these big words, and it doesn't make sense. But we as Christians can open the Scriptures, and it can make sense to us because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to us. And Christianity is not weird. It's, it's not confusing. Um, God is, he has given us all that we need, and we can trust him. All right, so I, again, I wanted to show you that clip because it's important for us to know that there are many people like that who have a lot of um, sway with people, and it's working its way into different areas. I was glad that not very many of you raised your hand that said you knew him, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't go seek him out and try to you know, listen to his stuff unless you're doing research or something. But um, again, it's that kind of thing, and there are many people. Um, he, has, he has influenced many people who you would probably know and say, I thought they were Christians. And they're either not or they're on a path of error right now. But, um, but what happens is you, you know, they don't use the Bible. They don't use the Word of God. They, and, and if they do, they twist it. It means something else, all right? So let's, let's heed Paul's warning um, not to be taken captive by that, that kind of thing. So we're, we're out of time for tonight. We'll continue next time. So let's close in, in a word of prayer. Well, Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you that it is truth. I pray, Father, that you would help us in our own lives if there's um, things that we are being influenced by that are not truthful, not of your word, though they say they are. I pray, Lord, you would give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it, um, that we would seek the truth of your word to combat the lies of the world. Let us rely on your word. Um, Father, we thank you for not leaving, leaving us floundering. We thank you that we can, we can trust you in everything. We thank you you've given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. You are all-powerful, uh, you are all-knowing, you are mighty God, the Lord of armies, and Father, we want to glorify you and trust you in our lives. Thank you for your care for us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.